Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'd please turn to Job chapter 22. The title of today's message is, Does God Care? It's interesting that the New Testament was last added to almost 2,000 years ago. And the Old Testament uh, was completed some 400 years before Jesus' birth and, and appearance. And so there's been many centuries that the, the scriptures have been provided. And yet it is interesting that some of the same questions we ask in our modern world today are the same questions that were asked back many centuries ago. And one of those, does God care? I find it interesting that when life is going well, when we get our job promotion and we're earning the money that we hope to make and our children are getting AIDS in school and everybody likes us and we have good health, that we never ask, does God care? We just seem to move along. But when some difficult situation happens in our lives or some tragic event happens, not either in our lives but in the world itself, we start to ask, well, does God care? And why does God permit evil? And why is there such injustice? And we start asking those questions and we wonder why God doesn't intervene. So the question is, does God care? And in Job, that same kind of question is going to be discussed as well. We have a situation where oftentimes we ask when a tragic event happens, why did it happen? Why, again, does God permit evil? And if, if God is there, why doesn't he intervene? Does he really not care? And our seeming first question is, why did the event happen? And even though why is a natural human response to terrible things, all too often the why doesn't produce a satisfactory result. An example I will give is if an evil man murders a baby. And you ask that evil man, why did you murder that baby? He might say, because I hate babies. I hate children. And that baby was crying and it irritated me and it bothered me. And so I murdered it to have a sense of peace and quiet. That explanation is not satisfactory. It's not a good reason that that baby was murdered. But that's often the response that is given to the why. When somebody murders a number of people and we say, why? The answer is never going to be satisfactory because oftentimes the answer is evil. But in that face of evil, then the question bounces back, does God care? And so Job is going to make these questions and going to provide some responses and hopefully that'll help us in our lives. And so in Job 22, starting with verse 1, it says this, Then Eliphaz the Temanite responded, Can a vigorous man be of use to God, or a wise man be useful to himself? Is there any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous, or profit if you make your way perfect? It's interesting here that Job's three friends have been arguing what we keep talking about, the retribution principle. If you do something bad or evil, God is going to punish. And yet in this opening statement to 
Job, he's saying, well, God doesn't care. I mean, what, what benefit if you're a good guy or a bad guy? God just doesn't care. Well, that kind of is counter to what he'd been arguing, that if you do bad, God punishes, and if you do well, God blesses. Well, which is it? Is it God punishes the bad stuff and blesses the good stuff, or he doesn't care? And you see, so there's this inconsistent argument coming from his friends, and oftentimes the same inconsistent argument coming from us. And so he makes these discussions, these these the error of his way. So it says, is it because of your reverence that he reproves you, that he enters into judgment against you? Is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? So he responds, well, God apparently does care because he's reproving you, not because you're righteous, but because of your wickedness. And that wickedness is great. But then he goes way beyond just alleging the situation that we believers say that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He really starts making some assumptions about Job's wickedness that is just not there. As a lawyer would say, it assumes facts, not in evidence. And so he says this, for you have taken pledges of your brothers without cause and stripped men naked. To the weary you have given no water to drink and from the hungry you have withheld bread. But the earth belongs to the mighty man and the honorable man dwells in it. You have sent widows away empty and the strength of the orphans has been crushed. Therefore, snares surround you and sudden dread terrifies you or darkness so that you cannot see an abundance of water covers you. Is not God in the heights of heaven? So again, he makes this statement that Job, you are a wicked man. You've done all these evil things. But as we saw from the beginning of the book, Job is a man of integrity, a man of blameless, a man who has taken seriously who God is and has worshipped him. And so there is no evidence that any of these accusations are of any merit against Job. However, I also might want to remind you, oftentimes we are accused of things that we haven't done. So Job has experienced these allegations of wickedness, and oftentimes we will be accused of things that we have not done, and so we can kind of understand Job's position. And you say, well, is not God in the height of heaven? Also, Look also at the distant stars. How high are they? You say, what does God know? Never has Job said that. Job has said, I don't understand why I'm being punished for something I didn't do. He didn't say God didn't know anything, but his friends turned Job's statements and instead of addressing what Job actually says, they set up a false argument and they'd argue against that. And you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the thick darkness? Clouds are a hiding place for him so that he cannot see. And he walks on the vaults of heaven. Will you keep to the ancient paths which wicked men have trod, who were snatched away before their time, whose foundations were washed away by a river. They said to God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous sees and are glad, and the innocent mock them, saying, truly our adversaries are cut off, 
and their abundance the fire has consumed. Yield now and be at peace with him. So again, he keeps going back and forth. God blesses and God takes away, but then he says, well, God only blesses the good people and he punishes the bad people. But then he recognizes, as Job has said, but oftentimes the, the wicked are blessed. And so he keeps going back and forth on these arguments that are not consistent. So when you hear people discuss with you situations, all too often their arguments are not consistent. So he's going to turn from you're being wicked and you need to pay attention to now he's saying you need to repent. Yield now and be at peace with him. Thereby good will come to you. Please receive instructions from his mouth and establish his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent and place your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks, then the Almighty will be your gold and choice silver to you. For then you will be a delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will pray to him and he will hear you and you will pay your vow. You will also decree a thing and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. When you are cast down, you will speak with confidence and the humble person he will save. He will deliver one who is not innocent and he will deliver through the cleanness of your hands. Basically, what his friend is saying is prosperity gospel. If you turn to God, God's going to bless you. So you should turn to God so that he will bless you. And not only will he bless you, he will bless those around you, even those who aren't innocent, which I find interesting because he's been telling Job he's wicked. Well, if Eliphaz is so righteous, why doesn't he apply this to himself and say, because I'm righteous and because I'm a man of integrity, you can be blessed by my service. He argues this for Job's account, but doesn't take it to himself. And oftentimes, that is what happens. We always tell people what they should do, but we never do the same thing. We don't follow our own counsel. So he tells Job he ought to repent, and if he repents, things should go well with him. If Job needed to be repentance, the repentance should be because he needs to repent. The argument is, repent and be blessed. Not repent because I am guilty. Not repent because I am wicked. Not repent because I need to be righteous. It's repent so that I might get stuff. And that's what we hear in a lot of churches today. If you go to church and you do and you say the right things and you pray in Jesus' name and do all those things that are the right magical things to do, then God just must bless you. That's not a reason. That's not the correct reason to worship God. We are to worship God not because he blesses us, but because he's God and he's worthy to be praised and honored and worshiped. Now, if he blesses us, awesome. And will he bless us? Yes. Will he bless us necessarily with finances? Maybe, maybe not. Will he bless us with other things? Probably. But to say, well, this is the category of blessing that he will do. He will reward us financially. 
is, again, a prosperity gospel as opposed to looking at God and saying, I want to have a relationship with him. My concern is the relationship with him, not the stuff that I get. But all too often, the, the counsel that Job is receiving is the counsel you'll hear in churches. Follow God, and he'll have, give you an abundant life. Ask the disciples how that went. Just 10 days after Jesus rose, ascended into heaven, and Peter and the others were preaching, and many came to salvation. But then the religious establishment persecuted them and beat them and warned them not to speak the name of Jesus. And they rejoiced, considering that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. They rejoiced in that suffering. It wasn't a matter of, oh, God blessed us with finances. No, God considered them worthy to suffer. What a different mindset. Turning to Job chapter 23. Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is rebellion. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. Job is saying, I understand that even in my complaint, I'm, I'm rebelling against God, but I can't seem to locate him. He's, I complain and I argue, but God doesn't respond. He's silent. Again, does he care? Job is experiencing what almost all believers experience at some point in their life. When a person be, first becomes a Christian, they're oftentimes excited and thrilled because the burden of sin has been lifted. They've got a new community of, of believers and they find fellowship and they're excited and they read their Bibles and they're emotional and, and they come to worship and everything's wonderful. But then as time progresses and you become a little more mature, suddenly that emotional experience isn't there. And sometimes people say, well, I will pray. And it feels like my prayers don't get beyond the ceiling, that God is somehow absent. It's because God is saying, do you seek me or do you seek the feeling? And all too often people are seeking the feeling of that emotion as opposed to the relationship with God. So God is saying, I'm going to remove, if you will, the baby formula or the breast milk from you so that you might grow. A baby needs milk or formula to grow and thrive. But it's interesting that a baby not only uses his mouth to suck to get the nourishment, that simple fact of the suction gives that baby comfort, purity, and rest, and you oftentimes see that a baby will go to sleep because it's sucking and it's relaxing. God's saying, I'm going to take the bottle away from you so that you might eat food, steak, potatoes, broccoli, whatever it is that you like to eat. I said, I want your stomach to be, I want you to mature. And so I'm going to take away some of that emotional 
component of your worship so that you worship me. Because the word of God doesn't say, well, because we feel this way, our prayers only go to, uh, to the ceiling. The scripture says that because of the blood of Christ, we can go boldly to the throne of grace and find help in need, in time of need. Hope and grace in time of need. God says we're actually in the great throne room of heaven, not bouncing off the ceiling. And so there may be this sense that God is not listening, that the God doesn't care. But it's not true. I would present my, verse 4, I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with argument. I would lean, I would learn the words which I would answer and perceive what he would say to me. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No, surely he would pay attention to me. He's saying, if I can just have an audience with God, I can let him know who, where I am and what I am, and, and he would hear me, and I would know what words I need to say in response so that he would understand my position. Again, Job, because of his feelings and because of his situation, has traded what he knows about God, that God is righteous, that God is omnipotent, that God is omniscient, all these aspects of God. Now he's thinking, well, God maybe isn't, and I need to explain myself to God. God not only knows what Job has done or not done, he knows his intentions. He even knows the number of hairs on his head. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backwards, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. And he turns on the right, and I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So Paul, uh, Job is saying, I can't find that audience. It seems if I go this way or that way, I go forward or backward or right or left, God knows where I'm going, and he seems to be hiding from me, moving to and fro so that I won't find him. Which again, takes away from who God is. He's trading who God is because of his feelings. But he goes, but he's confident. He goes, I can't find God. But if I do and when I do, I will be tried and come forth as gold. When I am refined, I will be pure gold. And that's, I have confidence in my position. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I have sought God. I have treasured his words. I have obeyed him. None of these things that are happening are fair because I have been a man who has followed and pursued him and taking him seriously. But then he goes on and says, but he is unique, and who can turn him? And what his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such decrees are with him. Therefore I would be dismayed at his presence. When I consider I am terrified of him. He's saying, I am an innocent man. I have sought the Lord. I have followed his counsel. 
I have appreciated who he is and I have worshipped him. And I am confident in my integrity. But when I come face to face with the Almighty God, I would be dismayed in his presence and terrified. Which is interesting because Job actually knows who Job is. I mean, who God is. He keeps going back and forth from trading who God is to knowing who God is, trading who God is, and knowing who God is. And yet in today's world, we'll find the opposite. People will say, well, if there is a God and I'm in heaven, I'll just tell him that I've done more good things than bad things and everything will be wonderful. Job is saying, I'm innocent. And yet I would be terrified to stand in front of him because he's an awesome, holy, powerful God. You are not on equal footing. You would be standing in front of the God of glory, the God of heaven and earth. And so he goes, when I consider this, even though I am confident in my cause, to be in his presence would terrify me. It is God who has made my heart faint and the Almighty who has dismayed me. But I am not silenced by the darkness nor deep gloom which covers me. He's saying, I'm going to keep searching. And I'm going to keep following. And even though I can't seem to find him and even though it seems to be a gain and a hide and seek, I'm going to keep pursuing God because he's worthy to be pursued. And then Job is going to ask questions that we ask today. Why are times not stored up by the Almighty? And why do those who know him not see his day? Some remove the landmarks and they seize and devour flocks. He's going to go and he says, wait a minute. Those of us who are believers in God. Why hasn't he set the day of judgment? We see evil. We see unrighteousness. We see all of these things. And why is it God is not setting a time for judgment? And that's the same question we ask. Why does God permit evil and unrighteousness to happen? Even this week, last week, the week before, daily evil things happen, not only in our country, but throughout the world. And the believer And others as well, if there is a God, he would stop all of this. And so, Job seems to say, well, God seems to allow injustice. And then, by saying that, he's going to mention some things that the unrighteous do. One is that he, they remove landmarks. They, They basically steal other people's property. They seize and devour flocks. They drive away the donkeys of the orphan. And they take the widow's ox for a pledge. They push the needy aside from the road, and the poor of the land are made to hide themselves altogether. Behold, as wild donkeys in the wilderness, they go forth seeking food in their activity, as bread for their children in the desert. They harvest their fodder in the field and glean the vineyards of the wicked. They spend the night naked without clothing and have no covering against the cold. They are wet with the mountain's rain and hug the rocks want of a shelter. Others snatch the orphans from the breast, and against the poor they take a pledge. They cause the poor to go about naked without clothing, and they take away the sheaves from the hungry. Within the walls they produce oil. They tread wine presses but thirst. 
From the city men groan and the souls of the wounded cry out. Yet God does not pay attention to folly. He's saying all of these evil things have happened. The unrighteous seem to be taking advantage of the poor and the needy and the orphan and the widow. And they have the concept of might makes right and therefore they just take. And he's going, but God seems to just stand silent and do nothing. Others have been with those who rebel against the light. They do not want to know his ways, nor abide in his paths. The murderer rises at dawn and he kills the poor and the needy. And at night he is as a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me. And he disguises his face. In the dark they dig into houses. They shut themselves up by day and they do not know the light. For the morning is the same to him as thick darkness. For, as, for he is familiar with the terrors of thick darkness. They are insignificant on the surface of the waters. Their portion is cursed on the earth, and they do not turn toward the vineyard. Rout and he consumes the snow waters, so does show those who have sinned. A mother will forget him. The warm feeds seedy sweetly till he is no longer remembered, and the wickedness will be broken like a tree. He's saying, even though the wicked seem to prosper and seem to have, even they will decay and be gone. Even their parents, their mother, will forget them. He wrongs the barren woman and does no good for the widow, but he drags off the valiant by his power. He rises, but no one has assurance of life. He provides them with security, and they are supported. His eyes are on their ways. They are exalted a little while, then they are gone. Moreover, they are brought low and are everything gathered up. Even like the heads of grains, they are cut off. Now, if it is not so, who can prove me a liar and make my speech worthless? You see, does God care? Why is God silent? Why is God seeming to allow evil things to happen even though there is ultimately justice in the end, but during these days of life, why does he permit it? A question that we ask. There is a movie called Rudy. And there's a scene in the, in the movie where Rudy's life isn't, there's no tragedy, but it's not, progressing the way he thinks it ought to. He has a plan for his life and there's these obstacles in his way. And so he goes to a priest to ask for wisdom. And he kind of lays out the situation and the priest says something that has always impacted me. He goes, there are two incontrovertible facts. There is a God and I'm not him. And I agree, there is a God, and I'm not him. So I can't speak for him as to why he does what he does, because I don't have the mind and wisdom of God. But let me give you a few possible reasons that he doesn't take action. Reason number one. 
Because while evil is happening, there are those who are actually repenting and coming to him. And he's not willing for any or his to be lost. And so sometimes bad has to continue so that eternal values reign. And so God is possibly, and I believe probably, awaiting for all of those who are his to come home and realize. Second possibility, when God gave Abraham the promised land, he said, well, I'm not going to give you right this second. Basically what's going to happen is you're going to die, your offspring are going to go to another land called Egypt. And there they're going to hang around for about 400 years. And they're going to cry out to me. And I'm going to bring them forth from that nation and give them this land. Now he doesn't say so because he's waiting for them to grow up as a nation. He says for the justification because the iniquity of the Amalekites has not fully been realized. He's saying, I'm going to judge them, but I'm going to judge them at the proper time. Yes, they're evil. Yes, they follow other gods. And yes, they even kill their children in worship of those other gods. But I'm giving them time, if you will, to repent, but to confirm their evilness and their abandonment of God. So God both is awaiting for his children and going to show that he is a just God, that he gave you every opportunity to repent, but instead you hung yourself with your own will. And the third reason I think God seems to be silent when he's not. Where's the line of evil that you want him to stop at? Does the scripture say, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. So do you want God only to stop the murderer? Well, Jesus said, if you say, you fool, you've committed murder. So does, once you've done that, and I suspect all of us have, then we all ought to be eliminated. Or perhaps there's some sin that you do that you think, well, God ought to tolerate, but the sin that those other people do, God ought not to tolerate. Well, God doesn't tolerate any sin. So maybe we should be praising God for his patience because he's patient with you and me because we are sinners. And if he is judging that he's not going to permit evil, then this group of people called humanity would have stopped in the second generation. Because Cain murdered his brother. God permitted that. Even so much so that God allowed Cain to to live. He ostracized him. He banished him. And Cain was afraid that people would kill him. And so God gave him a mark so that he would be protected But God, even in his grace to the sinner, provided for Cain. So 
So perhaps God is providing grace to you and me in the midst of evil. I am not God. I can quote what the scriptures say. I do not know the mind of God. I'm seeking it more and more, and I seem to know more of who he is. But his wisdom is far too infinite. His love is far too unbounded. He knows all. I see actions. He knows intentions. He knows us so well. He knows not only when we rise up and when we lay down. He knows the very number of hairs on our head. And for some of you, it's every day it's a little easier for God because as you comb your hair, there's more and more hair coming out. But God knows us, but he knows not only what we do, but how we think and how we, how we internalize things. So maybe, just maybe, we should praise God for his power so that we might have an opportunity to repent, that we might have an opportunity to know him better, that we might have an opportunity to see his and to say, God, even though it hurts, I lost a loved one because of either health or violence or things happened and they weren't unfair. Your word says that you will comfort me. It's a comfort and a peace that passes all human understanding. So my last appeal is when you start to think, why does God permit evil? Or why is injustice done? Maybe we should praise him because we don't have all the facts. He was patient and tolerant with us. Not only until we came to know him, but even now. Because I became a believer when I was about seven, but I became a person who knew him more in, in my senior year of high school. So I came to know God at an early age. So just the fact of the years, I have sinned, unfortunately, more since I've been a believer than I was before I was a believer. But God was patient with me and loved me and gave his son for me. We should praise him for his patience. We should praise him for his grace. And we should praise him the fact that he is God and we're not. That he is a God, even in the most difficult times when it seems that there is the night in the desert of the soul where it seems that God cannot be found. His word says he is near. He's present. The word of God says not only is he near and present, if you are a believer, his spirit dwells in us. So when we pray, the 
the words don't just bounce off the ceiling because they're there. And the scriptures not only say that, it tells us that the Spirit prays on our behalf when we don't know how to pray. So we should realize that even when it feels like we're not getting through, His Holy Spirit is getting through in a way for us that is best for us. Trust Him. Like I said, unfortunately, we don't seem to wonder if God cares when we are blessed. We seem to wonder if God cares when we're not. The scriptures throughout say, not only does God love you and care for you, but he demonstrated that love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Trust him. Come what may. And all God's people said.